Jump in, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are telling you every single week, we want to see you bring in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we will buy you one, we will get you one, but we want you to bring your Bibles. Open up to Matthew chapter 5. Also, also, we have notes for you. We'd love for you to take notes. We think that if you take notes, you're going to have better small group experiences and better discussions. So we've provided those on your chairs, and there are pens underneath your seat. So let's just take like 20 seconds, grab a pen that's underneath your chair or over there, pass them down, make sure everyone gets a pen, everyone's got a note sheet. While we're doing that, while we're doing that, if you're new, hold on, if you're a regular, could you make some noise for the new people and let them know how excited we are that they're here? Woo! HSM, HSM loves having new people and we are so glad you're here. I want to meet you, so make sure you say hi to me uh, before you leave tonight. We have a small group that's waiting for you. We also have a gift for you. So if you are brand new, uh, we have this first time pack that's for you that's got all the info you need to know about our ministry. It's got a pen, it's got a moleskin, which is super dope. Also, there's a coupon inside for a free Starbucks drink. We want to buy you Starbucks and just get to know you. So make sure, make sure you talk with an adult leader tonight or talk with me. We will get you one of these first time packs. All right. Who's got Matthew chapter five open? We ready? Who's got Matthew chapter five open? We ready? Anna and I, Anna and I are going to have fun tonight. This is going to be good. All right. All right. Let's get into it because I want to get you guys into your small groups. Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read verse 17 to 20. We're focusing on four verses tonight. Now, Jesus is going to come on really strong. Okay. He's going to say some stuff that maybe at a first glance you're going, what? What is he talking about? I want to unpack some of the context. I want to unpack a little bit of what he's saying. Because I think, I think tonight is going to broaden and, and um, widen our picture of who Jesus is and, and how he fits into the story that God is telling. Because sometimes, maybe some of you even, you're kind of new to this whole Jesus thing. And, and you maybe think he's just like this revolutionary who just showed up. Well, he was a revolutionary, but he didn't just kind of show up out of nowhere doing his own thing. He was actually in a long line of people who were, begin, who were telling the story of God that ultimately culminated in Jesus. And so if you don't get anything out of night, if you don't get anything out of night, you need to write this down. That all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four historical biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. They tell the story of God, and Acts to Revelation are commentary on Jesus. I'll say it again. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus, and Acts to Revelation are commentary on Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, find me in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but this is a really, really big word, but to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, whoa, that's going to happen? All right, we'll talk about that. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Verse 19, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Yeah, okay, so 
We're catching Jesus at the beginning of this really, really long sermon. We've had the subtitle of this idea is, it's a study of the longest sermon Jesus ever preached. It's chapter five, six, and seven. It's three chapters where Jesus doesn't leave any room for someone to say, I got a question, or I'm not sure what's going on there. No, no, Jesus is just going at it. He's unstoppable for three chapters, and we're catching him at the beginning of this. Now, you have to put this in context. Nobody knows who Jesus is. We, maybe, maybe some of you have been around church for a while, or maybe you've never been to church before. You have some ideas of who Jesus is. For the people that were in the first century, they had no idea who this guy was. That they had no idea where he kind of fit into the story. If he was this crazy renegade or if he was just another Jewish rabbi like all the other Jewish rabbis. They didn't know who he was. And so Jesus has to locate himself in this story. So let's take it verse by verse. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. So this is a really, really important phrase. Jesus says, do not think. This means that people, people who were beginning to get to know Jesus thought that he didn't care about the Torah, which is the Old Testament. They thought that maybe he was just going to kind of be this, this crazy outlander doing his own thing. And so Jesus says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Here's, here's, what's that, here, here's what that is shorthand for. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's this whole Old Testament and it's broken up into five categories. Maybe you didn't notice and you want to write it down. The Old Testament is broken up into five categories. The first is this, the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, Pentateuch is a Greek word meaning five scrolls. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Old Testament believed to have been written by Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The next section of books is called the historical books. And that's from Joshua all the way to Esther. And these are beginning to tell the story of the people of God. As they follow him, as they fall away from him, there's like first and second kings and, and chronicles and Samuels in there and a bunch of Ruth, a bunch of other awesome books that begin to tell the historical story of the people of God. The third category is this, the wisdom writings. This is Psalms and Proverbs and um, uh, uh, Lament, no, no, Lamentations, um, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job. These are the wisdom writings of the people of God. The fourth category is the major prophets. This is Isaiah to Daniel. These books are huge. Has anyone ever read the book of Isaiah before? It's long. It's crazy. It's big. These are the major prophets. These are the prophets who get a lot of airtime in the story of God. And then it ends with the fifth category, the minor prophets. That's Hosea to Malachi. These are really, really short books about these prophets and how they spoke messages to the people of God about repenting and turning back and following him. And so when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, he's talking about all of these five categories. And this is really important because maybe, maybe you're looking and you're going, well, I'm, I'm just going to read the New Testament. I don't need to read the Old Testament. You need to understand that when Jesus says the word fulfill, what he means is that he has come to complete what has already gone on. That he has come as the fulfillment. What he means to say is that there was the Old Testament and the Old Testament is pointing towards eventually Jesus coming. This is really key. Jesus didn't just show up. No, no, no. There were stories from centuries and centuries before about how God would eventually send himself. And it was so mysterious and people didn't know how to fully understand that. But there were these stories that God was going to send himself. And early on in the Old Testament, we begin to see the heart of God for the people, for the nations. But it finds its culmination 
It finds its perfection. It finds its fulfillment in the life of Jesus. I remember as a kid, as a high school student, um, when I first came to Christ, I remember my youth pastor sitting down with me and reading, uh, we read Deuteronomy 31.8 together, where it says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a beautiful passage. And right there, there's a, there's a promise that God will be with us. And then when we jump to the New Testament, we hear Jesus at the very end of all things, at the, before, he's a, before he ascends, before he heads out of here, he says, Surely I will be with you always. Another example would be the story of Jonah. Has anyone ever read the book of Jonah? It's awesome. Chris and I read the book of Jonah in like 20 minutes here. It was amazing. And the book of Jonah is this story where God comes to this prophet, this minor prophet, Jonah, and he says, Jonah, there's this group of people. Have you heard of them? They're called the Ninevites. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with the Ninevites. I've heard crazy stories about the Ninevites. They're absolutely insane. They do unspeakable things. And God goes, I know, and I care about them. And Jonah's going, what? Jonah's going, are you kidding me? You, you. No, 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 I don't think so. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I care about him so much. I want to send you, and I want you to go tell them to repent and turn back because I want a relationship with them. And Jonah goes, I don't think so. I can't do that, God. And so he runs far, far away. Well, God eventually wins him back, and he goes to Nineveh, this Gentile, this non-Jewish world. And he shares the message of God's love and God's desire for them to repent and follow him, and, and they do. And you see, it's, it's a story, it's a moment where we see in scripture that even in the Old Testament, God's heart was not just for the Jewish people. God's heart was that he would so love and so change the Jewish people that as they go out into the world, people would look at their lives and go, there is something different. I wanna be like you. I wanna have that relationship with God that you have. And so we see that in the book of Jonah. Well, that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved who? The world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. You see, the Old Testament, the Old Testament is beginning to tell these stories, but it's all pointing towards the ultimate culmination, the ultimate fulfillment in the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus, Jesus defines for us what he means by I fulfill the law. What he means is that he defines for us the intended meaning of the Old Testament. And so there's sometimes you're going to read some obscure passages, and if, if you're not reading the scriptures right now, I want to encourage you, that's how we connect with God. That's how God speaks to us is through the Old Testament. And so if you're not reading, or th through the scriptures, if you're not reading Old Testament and New Testament, you've got to start diving into that really, really quickly. But what we've got to do is as we're reading the Old Testament interpreting it in light of the Gospels, in light of what Jesus has done because he is the ultimate fulfillment of that. I want to read a passage to you in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, 1 to 3. I believe we have that up there. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 3 says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Check out the next verse. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You see, it's, it's like, um, 
It's like Jesus is the clearest picture of God that we have. It's the clearest picture of the heart of God is found in Jesus because Jesus is not some representation. He is the exact representation. It's like if you, uh, if you go outside and if you look at the stars and you're kind of taking them in and you're trying to kind of process and then you get out like a telescope and you begin to look at the stars and you can actually see them for what they really are. You can see them zoomed up. You get this view. You get this picture that, that blows your mind and it's more than you could ever see on your own. That is how Jesus is to us. That's how his teachings are to us is that apart from the Gospels, some of it can be kind of vague, some of it can be misunderstood, and yet in light of Jesus, all of a sudden we get this Hubble telescope magnified view of who God is and the heart of God. And see, that's why Jesus showed up on planet Earth, to reveal the heart of God, to reveal the heart of Father, and the only way that he could do that is he is actually God. Because he's not a substitute. He's not second best. He is the exact representation of God. And so as you open the word of God, as you open Old Testament or New Testament or whatever it is, the idea is that Jesus, as he came to fulfill the law, we read those passages with Jesus as our guide. So we reference the gospels. It's like um, I, went on this, uh, I went on this hike a few days ago. Um, we were checking out this camp, and it was, it was near Bass Lake, and it was this place called Glass Rock. Is that what it's called? Where's Laura? Is Laura in here? Is it Glass Rock? I got it right. It's Glass Rock. And, and Glass Rock is this beautiful lookout point that, that looks over Bass Lake, and it's gorgeous up there. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. But in order to get up there, you got to hike a grueling, painful, exhausting one mile. And it's brutal, you guys. It's brutal. Ethan Land is in the house. Everybody needs to know this about Ethan Land. He just ran a half marathon, okay? Can we give it up for Ethan? I mean, that's incredible. And, that's, and at the same time, that's ungodly. We were never intended for that. That's crazy. So, so for me, I'm at the bottom of Glacier Rock, and you've got to hike a mile up to get to this beautiful lookout. It's amazing. It's glorious. We begin to go up there, and I'm on this trip with Andrew, uh, and then Adrian, our junior high pastor, and then Laura and I were there. Um, and, and, and Andrew and Adrian, they're, they're total sinners. They just run past us and don't even care. They don't even care about me. Laura, who could have run off with them, would have been fine. She chooses to stay back because she recognized if I get lost in the woods and I die, Charlie's going to be without a dad. Andrew doesn't care about that. Adrian doesn't care about that. Laura's the only one who cares is the point of the story. So we're walking, we're climbing up this mountain together. And I mean, it's crazy, you guys. It's the steepest thing I've ever done. It's crazy how it just went up like that. And, and Andrew and Adrian are far, far off, right? And I'm we're literally screaming for him. We're like, Adrian! And he's like, you suck! And then just doesn't ever respond, you know? And just kind of like runs away. But Laura, 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 she's like kind of a step ahead of me. And I'm following her. And she's like my guide as I'm going up the mountain. Now, halfway through, I'm dying. I actually, anyone ever had a panic attack from working out too much? I have. And so I'm hiking up this mountain. 
And I'm literally like dry heaving, like I'm dying. I'm wishing there was water. And Laura's like, come on, we can do this. You are really out of shape. Come on. And so she's kind of encouraging me. And we're beginning to kind of like walk up this mountain. And she's my guide all the way up to glacier, grass, glass, glass rock. She, thank you, Rob. She's my guide all the way up to glass rock. Adrian, Andrew, no help at all, okay? No help at all. Laura, Laura. She is a few steps ahead of me, guiding me up to this beautiful lookout. In the same way, the gospel is Jesus. Jesus becomes for us a guide as we read the scriptures, as we open up the word of God, Old and New Testament. Jesus becomes this guide, the lens through which we read the stories. Let's check out the next verse. Verse 18, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus has this really weird thing where he says, he says, not until, I'm gonna get this exactly right. Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear. You're like, what, are heaven and earth gonna disappear? I wanna show you a few scriptures real quick. I thought this was kinda of cool. Can we jump to uh, Revelation 21, one to eight? Revelation 21, eight says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and, and be their God. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things passed away. Let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. Um, sure. Yeah, let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. Revelation, this, this kind of story of, of what maybe the end times are going to begin to look like, and it's full of metaphor, and it's, it's challenging and confusing, but it begins to paint this picture that at some point, earth and heaven are going to pass away, but they will be, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be this image of, of, of a new Jerusalem sort of coming down and God dwelling with his people here. And so what Jesus is saying is until the end of time, until this crazy event happens where God restores everything and changes all things until then, until then, it's really, really important that we read the Old Testament that we know what God is saying, that we know what it means to follow him and to obey him and to walk in his ways through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of Jesus. Verse 19 says this, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, man, as you read the Old Testament, and as it invites you to pray, as it invites you to be faithful to God, as it invites you to a holy life, don't throw that away. Don't think that just that following Jesus means that, that all we read is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, no, we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, in light of the Gospels, but we still read the Old Testament. And then last verse is this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That sounds very works-based, right? 
Sounds like unless you're a really, really, really good person, better than the people around you, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. You see, in, the, in this time, in this place, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, to them, being righteous meant just doing the right things. That's all it meant to them, was doing the right things. And what we're gonna see in the next few weeks, and I am so excited to continue unpacking this sermon, as we're gonna find in the next few weeks, Jesus is actually concerned with something deeper. And for those of you that don't know Jesus, you're kinda new to this whole thing. Man, we're so glad you're here, and this is really important. Jesus is not just interested in you doing the right thing. He's actually interested in your heart. See, Jesus is interested in your heart being like his. He's gonna say in a few weeks, he's gonna say to us, man, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm telling you, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. He's gonna say, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, don't have an affair, but I'm telling you that if you have lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You see, Jesus is saying it's not just about the external. It's not just about you doing the right things. Jesus is far more interested in entering into your life in such a way that your heart is changed and you become more like him. And so HSM, as we break up into small groups tonight, my prayer for us is this, that we would say, Jesus, make my heart like yours. Jesus, make my heart like yours. We don't want to just do the things that we're supposed to do. We want to ask Jesus, Jesus, would you actually change my heart? And Christians, if you've been following Jesus for a while, I have a question for you. Does your heart look like his? I didn't say, do your actions look like his? I want to go deeper with you. Does your heart, the way you think about people, the way you feel about people, the way you interact with people at an at a, at a internal level, the way you think about young women or young men or whatever it may be. Do, is the heart of Jesus inside of you, does your heart break for the things that break his? And so the prayer that we're gonna pray is, Jesus, make my heart like yours. If you're not reading something right now, if you're not reading something right now, I wanna invite you to do something. Courtney, where's Courtney? There's Courtney. Um, Courtney is gonna be in the back right there and she's got a stack of the gospel challenges. We created these. Where's Chanel? Is Chanel in the house somewhere? Whoop, whoop. Cool, Chanel. Um, Chanel created these. Chanel created these gospel challenges for us where they're 84 days in the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I wanna invite you, I wanna invite you, maybe as a small group, you say, hey, we're gonna take this challenge every single day. We're gonna read one chapter a day. It's gonna take you 84 days and you're gonna to get to know Jesus at a really, really deep level and figure out what it looks like for his heart to become your heart. And so Courtney's gonna be in the back over there. She's gonna have them if you wanna pick. We only have 50 of them, but if you wanna take that, it's a quick guide, super easy, and your small group could do it together. Last announcement is if you are a senior, if you are a senior, I wanna see you up front. I got a quick announcement just for our seniors. Let me pray for us, and then the rest of you head off to small groups. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for HSM. Thanks for this community, Jesus. Thank you that you push us forward, that you help us become the kind of people whose heart look like yours. And God, it'd be easy to preach a message about, hey, just do the right thing, just do the right thing, just do the right thing. 
I thank you, Jesus, that you're interested in something far deeper, something more meaningful. You're interested in actually changing us. That one of the ways you're a fulfillment of the law is that you take that heart change that the law couldn't do and by the power of your spirit, you do change us. And so God, as we break into our small groups and as we read, read this and study and process and talk together, I pray, Jesus, we'd wrestle with what does it look like for our hearts to look like yours? In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.